0: Good morning, my name is Ami, and our reading today is from 2 Corinthians, chapter 6, verse 3, to chapter 7, verse 1. It can be found on pages 1,162 to pages 1,163 of your church Bible. Paul's Hardship We put no stumbling block in anyone's path so that our ministry will not be be discredited. Rather, as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way. In great endurance, in troubles, hardships, and distresses. In beatings, imprisonments, and riots. In hard work, sleepless nights, and hunger in purity, understanding, patience, and kindness, in the Holy Spirit and in sincere love, in truthful speech and in the power of God, with weapons of righteousness in the right hand and in the left. Through glory and dishonor, bad report and good report, genuine yet regarded as impostors, Known yet regarded as unknown, dying and yet we live on, beating and yet not killed, sorrowful yet always rejoicing, poor yet making many rich, having nothing and yet possessing everything. We have spoken freely to you. Corinthians, and open wide our hearts to you. We are not withholding our affection from you, but you are withholding yours from us. As a fair exchange, I speak as to my children. Open wide your hearts also. Warning against idolatry. Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Belial? Or what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I live with them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from them and be separate, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing, and I will receive you. And I will be a father to you, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Therefore, since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God.
1: Thank you. prayers we start. O oh God, our Father, we would see Jesus open to us these words of Scripture. May the Holy Spirit apply them to our hearts. Thrill our souls with the very presence of God himself. Warm our hearts in fresh love and devotion, we pray. May Jesus be honored in our midst. For his name's sake, we pray. Amen. If you'd like to keep that passage open, it would be a help. That's page 1162, 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Now, Paul was writing at at foundational time for the Christian faith. Believers everywhere were isolated outposts of heaven. It really mattered how they first Uh, building blocks of faith were put in place foundations matter we know that well don't we if uh, if, uh, the foundations are not buildings collapse when there's earthquakes Uh, If the building has been uh, uh, done badly, there will be catastrophe. And Paul knew that that would happen in Christian communities which weren't really founded on the truth of the gospel. And so he writes. He was worried about some of the false teaching that was creeping in at Corinth. And he wrote this letter and this particular passage to establish his credentials as an apostle, an authoritative teacher of the word of God. And he asked them to renew their affectionate fellowship and trust with him. And he wanted to reject some errors that were circulating in Corinth and invite them to live as true disciples of Jesus. So we're going to look in verses 3 to 10 at the marks of authentic Christian ministry. How could these Corinthian believers recognize Paul as an apostle? What made him different from the self-styled leaders and apostles? And in this process, we'll find some ways to evaluate our own ministry. And uh, perhaps that will inspire us to pray for uh, the minister that we're seeking here by God's grace in this church. And we'll find that Paul emphasizes not his exploits in the faith, which were many, but his endurance of difficulties. He will then proceed not to self-advertisement, but to point to his character, and the character of his ministry. And you then go on to talk about not showy appearances, but the inward reality that lasts for eternity. So let's plunge in. Uh, Verses 4 and 5. Paul talks about endurance. He's been through tough circumstances, but he has found his faith resilient. What Jesus had promised has proved true. God has each believer in his own grip. He fills each believer with the Spirit's power, the presence of the risen Lord. And Paul tells us he'd been through troubles, hardships, distresses, but he hadn't given up. He'd been through beatings, prison, riots, a crowd that wanted to lynch him. He'd suffered from court sentences and from mob law. He knew hard work, sleepless nights, hunger, the unremitting burdens of ministry. And this is proof of his apostleship. He held on fast through it all. Sir Ernest Shackleton's claim to be one of the very greatest of all Polar explorers. Does not depend on his firsts, his discoveries, or anything like that. But the 18 months nightmare of an expedition that failed completely. He never got to Antarctica. His ship was trapped in the ice and crushed to bits. And there followed, months camped out on the ice waiting for the ice flow to reach the sea. And then a dangerous voyage in three boats to isolated Elephant Island, where two of the boats were turned into a makeshift camp for about 17 men to sleep and live through the Antarctic winter. While he set off in an open boat, the one that's shown on the right there, with four other men, to sail across the most, Wild and dangerous ocean in the world to reach South Georgia, wrong side of it. So he had to go across the mountains with two colleagues. And eventually, the entire party, 22 men, were saved. Every last one. The principal casualty was a lad who'd lost three fingers, I think. Uh, it's the endurance which incidentally was the name of his ship, endurance that marks him out as one of the polar greats. is the endurance of a Christian under testing, which marks out for the rest of the world to see the reality of the faith we claim. We sometimes underestimate the importance of suffering In the Christian faith and our witness to the world. And Paul had that in plenty. And so he moves on from endurance to Christ like character. And Paul tells us in these same verses he'd shown gentle shepherd care of folk, conduct marked by purity, sympathy, patience with people's failures and problems, sheer kindness in the way he dealt with people. He had displayed the gifts of the Holy Spirit, not the things that the Greco-Roman world adored, physique, eloquence, intellect, beauty. No, no. The wholesome fruit of the Lord's character, Sincere love, truthful speech, the power of God bringing new life and moral transformation and hope and light and peace, the life giving, life transforming, vibrant energy of the Creator God indwelling human body. That marked out Paul as an apostle. Weapons of righteousness, the right hand and the left. No trickery, no deception, no exploitation. A man of integrity. Paul has been describing apostolic ministry. And please God, every form of Christian ministry and service. Do we have those marks of Christian authenticity in our lives day by day? By God's grace, it can be so, because he has given us his Holy Spirit. And he talks in verses 8 to 10 of lasting values. Now, what do you think the opinion formers, the influencers, the social inset of Corinth made of, this notorious Jew, Saul of Tarsus, to them. And he shows us here. He was a contemptible nobody, an imposter, battered, beaten, unimpressive, overworked, dreary, talked about judgment and about a crucified convict. Well, he won't get far He'll probably be killed by angry magistrates or a furious crowd. He's a man without presence or property or prospects. And Paul says, look at things from God's point of view. Put it under the searching scrutiny of God and what do you see? An insignificant Christian minority. Well known in the courts of heaven, where real power dwells, known, loved by God himself, destined for heavenly glory, verse 8, accredited by the Holy Spirit, who knows the genuineness of their faith. Yeah, every Christian believer's life hangs by a thread, but that thread is held In almighty hands. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Colossians 3 3. Those Christians, apostles, survived persecution, sometimes brutal. The joy of the Lord, their strength in all circumstances, always rejoicing, says Paul in verse 10. And he talks about treasure. The message of the good news is the greatest treasure a human being can receive. For the God who gives us Jesus gives us everything together with him. Possessing everything, says Paul, in verse 10. And so he comes to his concluding appeal in verse 11 and 13. 11 to 13. The first concluding appeal. He asked for affectionate unity between apostle and people. A teaching and learning community working together in love and trust. Not based on fear or threats or abusive control. It's the caring concern of a parent with a child. The Emperor Trajan had a little slogan. It went like this. Let them hate me as long as they're scared of me. Nothing like that in Christian ministry. This is the love of a caring parent and Paul asks them to open their hearts to him. Well, that's the first part up to uh, verse 13. And then comes uh, Verses 14 to 18. And Paul moves from the marks of authentic ministry to the marks of an authentic church of Christian living. we we'll dive in. Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. What do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Now Paul is writing to young Christians living in Corinth. There was temptation everywhere. Idolatry, shaped social behavior, and cultural values. The gods competed uh, for uh, loyal followers who offered food and incense and gifts before images of the gods. The trade guilds met in temples under the patronage of gods. And Corinth was full of temples. There were banquets there, which became the normal business hubs, where deals were done. And what should a new Christian believer do? Cut himself off from his former colleagues and associates? Keep out of all that stuff? Refuse to attend the temple ceremonies? Well, maybe attendance wouldn't matter, you know keeping reserve position in your mind, uh, would it really hurt? Food's pretty good. And that's where the business is done. And Paul's reply is unexpected and uncompromising and uncomfortable. He says, don't be mismatched with unbelievers. Don't be unequally yoked. If you've got a powerful ox plowing alongside a donkey... You're never going to plow a straight furrow. And what he's saying is, if you collect your values, if your behavior is shaped by the society around you, and not by the living God, you'll be pulled off course. He's saying, come out from all that. Don't be mismatched with unbelievers. If you give your heart to making money, to social climbing, to joining the in crowd, all that's represented by that pagan temple culture, faith and witness, your immortal soul will be at risk. And Paul makes this uncompromising command to Christians, come out from all that. Not that they are to be amongst the ordinary unbelieving folk to witness to them, but they're not to get their nourishment from that source. They're not to get their values from the world around. Well, Paul, aren't you being a bit extreme? Perhaps you've lived so long in the Christian world, you've kind of forgotten what it's like to be in touch with the real world. Uh-uh. Did Paul understand the real world, how it worked? He was a brilliant scholar and linguist at home in Jewish, Greek, Roman language and literature. He was able to explain the Christian faith to Jewish and Roman lawyers and theologians, to country peasants in Asia Minor to the learned elite of the Areopagus in Athens. He quoted Greek poetry to them. He could speak to a hushed Christian community listening deep into the night after a hard day at work. He could speak to a Roman military detail on guard duty, to the emperor's court at Rome, to a crowd set on lynching him, a Roman governor who was bowled over by his great learning. Extraordinarily well-travelled on safe Roman roads or in lawless bandit country. He'd survived being stoned and flogged and shipwrecked. (laughs) Paul understood life in the real world. And his advice, his command to the believers at Corinth and to us is to make sure We are withdrawn from the world around in terms of our value structures. We belong to the Christian church. And what is that? And Paul tells us, look at at verse 16. We are the temple of the living God. Christians, a Christian community, This is where God dwells, where God walks, as in the Garden of Eden, where God would walk with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. He walks with us as Jesus walked with that couple on the road to Emmaus. It's a picture of fellowship and teaching and intimacy and belonging. But not only so. He tells us that we are a holy nation. We are people who belong to God. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. We're called to be priests, representing people to God in intercessory prayer representing God to the world in witness. We're called to belong to him. We're called to belong to God's family. I will be a father to you. You will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. That is where we belong, in the fellowship of the Lord himself. Let's fix our eyes on Jesus and aim to follow him with heart and soul and mind and strength. Let us be set apart from everything unworthy. What are our life goals? Well, just a final picture those Roman roads, they were straight. They were built to link legionary bases, the shortest route, so that you could march 6,000 men without interruption. This is the point. What about your life and mine? Aiming straight for the point. Eyes fixed on Jesus. May we be single-minded for him. May we live for the gospel, for God's glory, for our Savior's final well done. Let's pray. O oh God, our Father, keep us fixed upon Jesus, our Savior and Lord. May we live for him. Live for the gospel. Live for your glory.
0: In Jesus' name, amen.